Hi, I'm John Sumter, and along with my good friend Gina Kildy, we're going to bring you a new podcast called The Work. The point of The Work is to get beneath the marketing hype and into the real stories that turn our industry around, and we're going to talk to the people who are doing the turning. So, Gene... John. Why don't you? Why, <laughs> <laughs> this is starting to sound like a Saturday Night Live skit. Um, <laughs> We're going to have fun here, John, and I know our guests are as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, why don't you introduce Meg? Yeah, absolutely. How lucky are we to have Meg? Bear from SAP. Um, Meg is Chief Product Officer. Meg, I hope I got that right. I, I pulled that off LinkedIn, which, you know, I consider the gold standard of people's titles. Uh, but we are so lucky to have you here with us today. And full disclosure, you are the first guest on the first episode of The Work. So welcome to The Work. Well, thank you so much. I am beyond honored, and I both adore you and John, but also the topics that you guys are investigating here. So, really honored to be here. Thank you for that. You know, I do want to fantastic. Hello, John. Please, uh, I have to just tell Meg one thing, and then I promise I will turn the floor over to you. I just want Meg to know that I've been eating shortbread cookies all week in anticipation of today's episode. And we'll explain what that means in a few moments. So, John, back over to you. Well, well, Meg, um, I really am a big fan of what looks like a revolution in your company. Um, and it seems to me that you are leading a march towards a different kind of success factors in SAP. Um, what's it like? I mean, you know, it's an old, old company and you're bringing new, new ideas to it. So what's that like? Yeah. So first off, it's glorious. Um, I will say that, um, you know, what I care deeply about is what we're going to talk about today, how work is changing and how important it is for every person to be able to contribute to that. And the reason that I'm so delighted to be part of the mission of Success Factors is because that's exactly what we're living right now. We are a very successful business that serves more than 8,000 companies around the globe, but we also know that our business is changing rapidly. And so for us to be able to serve our customers and for us to be really helping to be part of the things that matter deeply to us, we need to think about how we can change ourselves. And so this goes broad and deep. And this is something that I'm super passionate about. So I love the people I work with, but I love even more the mission that we are on to really put people at the center of business and to help make this change happen in a way that's fruitful for both individuals and companies. So, so the thing that I've been trying to puzzle out lately, and, and I don't think anybody has a really good answer to this, is what what is work? Yeah. How do you tell? Oh my goodness! Yes, this is this is exactly the whole um, interesting slash crazy making bit, right? The the construct of what is an agreement for employment, the construct of what do I expect from a job and what does my company expect from me are, are really changing. And it's, I think it would be hubris to think that we really know the answer to this. 
um, at least from my point of view. But what I do know deeply is that, you know, there there's kind of a hierarchy of needs of work and employment for an individual. And there is a hierarchy of needs for the relationship of work for an organization. And both of those things are changing pretty rapidly. Jean, I know you you have a lot of thoughts about this as well. Maybe I, I should let you talk as Absolutely. Well. <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, when we look at the psychological contract between employer and employee and how that has changed um, recently, let's say in the last 20 months, uh, the element of empathy and kindness uh, have become that that's that's a currency almost you know so so we have the traditional constructs of work but but we have new expectations from employees and and I'm curious you know as you're looking at designing product and and working with your customers has that has that actually rippled through the enterprise or is it just beginning or or is it just marketing hype so I would say that consistently everybody's thinking about it and everybody understands something has changed. And it really doesn't matter where you are in the globe or even what industry you're in. Something has changed for your business pretty dramatically. And most people recognize that this change was already happening before the pandemic. There, you know, again, we, we think about at least in North America, the rise of the gig workers, the kind of understanding of the economy shifts, et cetera, were, was already pretty frothy. And then, of course, the pandemic changed so many things all at once. So so everybody is definitely aware that the um, you know that that workers have both more power and more expectations than they've had in the past. But what I think is different and and kind of as I as you try to look to extrapolate that out to the future, um, I don't think that where we are today or even what people think they can see when we talk great resignation or or boomerangs or um, the, the shifting of work, et cetera, I don't think that anyone really can see an end state. I think what we see are interim states. And mm -hmm. so the way I think about this, because again, I'm a nerd and a technologist and I a uh, futurist and I like to kind of try to understand is that really where the best use of time and energy is, is not just responding to the needs of today, but to really think about how do you set yourself up to be much more adaptable going forward? Because today's problem is, well, what do I do with my real estate and, and are people coming back to work five days a week or two days a week or on demand or whatever? But none of that is in a final state if you really want to think about being competitive, because each of those pieces are evolving and changing. And so if you're if you're a person responsible for setting up work to be successful in an organization, if you're in an HR role or a facilities role or an operations role or or a CEO role, you really need to be thinking about how do I become better at understanding what is changing and how do I get better at change? Because that's the thing that really underlies all of it, at least from my point of view. John, how do you, how do you frame change these days? I mean, we hear so much on this topic. What, what are your thoughts there? Well, well I'm, I'm not sure that anybody knows anything anymore. I, I got called into a meeting this morning at six o'clock my time 
there were 20 people on the Zoom call, and the job was to listen. And the people, you could, you could tell who was able to listen and who wasn't able to listen. And somehow that 20 hours of work moved something forward, but it didn't really feel like it while it was happening. And so, so I'm, I'm wondering if we know anything at all about what work is. We have this model where um, you get, three people and they assemble all of the parts of the puzzle and put it in a box and put the shrink wrap on it and send it out the door. And that's work in the sort of the old industrial set. You make something. But when you're developing software or um, developing the ideation that comes before you develop software, it's a murky mess. And I'm not sure that I even know what the skills would be. I think that'd be a, a fascinating question to ask Meg. How do you actually know what the skills are that are required to yeah. do a job? Yeah, hard yeah. skills and soft skills. I think I think that's a, an interesting conversation. 100%, right? So what we're really recognizing is two things. We need better systems to ask, right? Because pretending that you know is, is probably your first trap. Um, your experience is only going to take you so far, and I don't care how experienced you are. You really need to be much more sort of adaptable and curious and um, open to to try to understand the conditions between what needs to get done, right? What is the business objective? What is the what is the raison d'etre for the business? And then how do you organize, mobilize, galvanize? the the people that you need to help make that happen. And bo- again, both of those things are changing. The needs of your customer and your business are changing at exactly the same rapid pace as the needs of your employees because underneath all of that it are humans. <laughs> and humans are evolving at a pretty rapid rate right now. And so back to the question of what skills do humans need to be able to adapt um, so for sure, we need curiosity. We need the idea of bringing collective intelligence. We need humility and empathy and um, the ability to unlearn as much as to learn. But then from a, from a hard skill point of view, what do you need to actually um, you know, assemble that widget or build that software or whatever? You also need to recognize that those things are going to evolve and adapt. And so if you just step back from all of that, this is a place where systems can help you if you if you put the right thinking underneath them, right? Systems to ask people questions and get understanding of that at scale more quickly. Systems of implementing change more rapidly, right? We've we've been kind of dabbling in this in this concept of, you know, we talk about agile teams and lean development and all of these sorts of things that really get to the point of making change something that becomes a natural skill, a natural muscle. And then the specifics are much better facilitated. Where in the past, you'd sit back and you'd say, oh, you know, I need this skill and this skill and this Mm -hmm. skill in order to do work. And then that would sustain you for 10 years of implementation it, that just uh, you had to throw that entire thinking out the window. First off, that you will ever know is probably your first mistake, and then second off, 
the idea that you have time to sit down and think about it and then build a plan and then execute a plan is also completely misguided. In my mind, we need to we need to make we need to make the sources of change work for us, which means we need to co-create with the individuals that are creating the outcomes, right? We need to we need to respect this power shift and make it work for us. And so instead of wringing our hands about oh it's moving from command and control to to this this you know sort of wisdom of the crowds thing we need to we need to figure out how to make that work for us and we need to figure out how to co-create with our workforce as opposed to thinking that we control them in any way because again it's it's that mindset that we need to change first before we even start um, bringing any systems or processes or or technology to the story at all, in my opinion. You know, and and I'm I'm sitting here. I'm I'm looking at John, and I'm thinking we're probably going to go ask, back to my yeah, 20, we're going to ask this meeting. Yeah, this let, let let me um, just let me just and, I just want to quickly interject uh, 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 before you go back to your meeting, which must have been a good one at so bright and early <laughs> at six a.m. But but, <laughs> but I, I, Meg, what I just heard you say was brilliant, and and there's a big piece that is gnawing at me, and that is how do you move leadership along you know so you've got crowdsourcing you've got peer-to-peer models you've got the demise of command and control but but where's leadership in all of this and 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 john maybe maybe that's relevant to the meeting you had so so uh let me turn the floor back over to you guys yeah john you're 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 meeting a thing or do you what are your thoughts on leadership before i uh well so here's here's the thing um you can look at individual jobs and you can figure out what skills people need for individual jobs. But when you put a project together, figuring out what the accumulated amount of skills and precise quantities of skills are, how they're distributed, that's so heavily dependent on the context that you're in that it's almost as if the skill stuff doesn't matter. And that seems to me that that's where leadership is supposed to happen, but we we just have blunt instruments for that part of the of the thing. The reason that kindness becomes so important is that the only thing that we have right now is an hour and some communications channels, and the people who have marginal contributions have to spend the same hour as the people who are at the center of the question, and so. Leadership is how you um, soften the impact of that significant time waste, really. Um, but it's a time waste that you can't afford to cut. Yeah, so we think about we think about the time waste a lot in my organization because, of course, with global teams and the pandemic, we are all deeply suffering, myself included, with you know, being over committed in lots of long meetings, feeling disconnected, but also feeling overwhelmed and tired of looking at everybody on Zoom so that, you know, both conditions are true at the same time. But I I really think the construct of leadership is such a critical piece here because there's there's two things. In times of uncertainty, we know that great leadership matters even more. And if there's anything that, that we've been saying consistently is that there's a lot of uncertainty. And again, I will go back to what I said at the beginning. Anybody who says they're sure about how what happens next 
tells me they don't they don't understand the depth of what we're working with here because to be sure right now to to me suggests that you really do not understand what's happening so i think we all need to get very comfortable in this space of i don't know but together we're going to figure this out i don't know but we can change it because we are here to serve our customers to to serve our mission and we as a as a group can can have a lot more agency about how we make that happen. So leadership becomes a lot about facilitating both learning and adaptability. And so I do see I you know I see more emerging leader capabilities in like you know dynamic teams people stepping up within that team to help forge a path. I also see in my you know when I imagine the future that I want to create I see a world where we do not see leadership as such a narrow box, but that we really recognize that the the, the trick, the, the cool part, the interesting part is when we help each of us bring the fullness of what we have to contribute, bring the fullness of our brain power, our our learning, our skills, our our superpowers, right? And we bring that in a way that can have, you know, sort of outsized impact on on not just the business, but on the people that we work with. Because again, what in my, you know, imagining of the future, I imagine a future where not only do we each contribute in a really powerful way, but we recognize the impact we have on each other, which gets back to your kindness point that it is in working with these teams that are, are in my case, you know, global and 6 a.m. And some of us are in our pajamas and some of us it's at the end of the day. And yet we are together doing big things to serve our customer and to serve our business and to, and to help make big things happen. And so I feel like if we can bring forward that passion and that, again, that adaptability, and and really open our minds to how small we've been thinking up until now. We've been thinking so small about how we can contribute because we were hired for a specific job and we worked for a specific person and we, you know, we fill a box. But we all know interesting and important things happen not in the box, but in the white space between the boxes. And so again, it's it's about assembling that right group and and helping that group feel really connected and and creating the conditions that they can thrive. And that's not about, in my mind, you know, being beholden to, you know, workers have so much power that employers are doing crazy things to try to, you know, to get them to sign on. It's about a mutual respect because at the end of the day, what really satisfies the majority of workers is if they can make an impact, right? Of course we want to be paid. Of course we'd love nice snacks, whatever, but but we we want our time to be worth it. And again, I think we we underestimate just how much impact we have on each other when we work and how much impact that we can have and how much, you know, how much authority and, and control we really do have because we've just never taken that out for a spin. Uh-oh, I've got you guys quiet. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I can see the wheels turning at both of our ends. There's like so much to unpack here. Um you know, I made a joke in the beginning about shortbread, and and uh, I know when we had you on stage at the HR Technology Conference a few short months ago, um, 
your team uh, um, jokingly asked me to introduce you as Roy Kent. So, so I'm assuming there's a Ted Lasso connection here someplace. Is that does that tie back to your team and your leadership uh, thinking? It does, um, but it also just sort of uh, ties back to the, the broader construct of whole self. So, of course, we're all huge fans of Ted Lasso in um, in our group. John, I hear you haven't watched it yet, so um, you have a, a couple holiday breaks coming up, and I strongly recommend you yeah, fire up some Apple TV and, and give it a go. Um, but <laughs> the reason people call me Roy Kent is, is a couple-fold. Um, one, I am a... a very uh, frequent user of profanity, and um, so that, <laughs> no that salty is language, please. <laughs> but but not the whole part of it. Um, but the but the real bit is that um, I can be extremely direct and also um, really provoking to the team because, um, well, some of it is I don't know. You know, you have to uh, did spend some time in therapy or something, but, but mostly it's because I really, really believe this stuff. I really care about this stuff. And I see the opportunity here right now with what's happening in the world, what's happening with work and what's happening at my company success factors and what we want to bring forward with our customers. And I'm just super, super, you know, in, all in to make that happen. But of course, the other part of it is, of, uh, of course, the rest of the Success Factors team, if you've uh, gotten to know Jill Papelka, she is absolutely Ted Lasso. She's just um, super loving and kind and, um, you know, a great leader. And um, and so, again, I think I'm... And then, of course, Amy would be Beard, which is the, the smart <laughs> and... Smart and quiet, and yet uh, the person that's actually uh, making all the things happen. So that's uh, uh, she did have an entire episode, though. That was that really is true. Although that some... she almost backed off after that episode. She's like, "Yeah, I don't know about that." Yeah, but, I don't know. Uh, that could redefine that character. <laughs> totally. totally. So, we're, yeah. so we're, that's that's John's holiday assignment now is to binge watch Ted Lasso. I'm not sure I can do that. I don't tolerate video all that well. But I want, Meg, I want to pull you back to the leadership question a little bit because as I listened to you talk, you know, I'm 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 an older white dude, and the thing that you're describing as leadership is not what I was taught was leadership. The um, leadership was a much more hierarchical, directive sort of thing, and. Um, while I certainly wouldn't be in this category, many of my peers and colleagues who share gender and uh, ethnic traits might find your um, view of, of leadership to be hard to swallow, um, hard to execute on. And so, so I'm wondering if part of your argument about leadership is really about saying, this is why we need diversity in our organizations, and this is why um, the way forward has to be a broader, more inclusive sort of space, because that enables the sort of leadership that you're talking about. So, so spot on, John. And I would just say that, um, 
so so first off to rewind a little bit of course i i'm in a i'm a woman in tech i have been an only for a good chunk of my career in the in the roles that i've had um i recognize that my experiences are not universal in the sense of um they they don't uh, apply i still have a ton of privilege of course being a white woman but what I what I understand instinctively is that I'm much much more comfortable than most people with, um, you know, with change because my whole life has been about change, and also with um, disrupting patterns because my life has been also about disrupting patterns. But I will say that yes, power structures are are a critical element of all of this and they are a super big part of the discomfort. And it, it is across every dimension that, that we as a society are, you know, structurally uncomfortable right now. And I think it's important to, to talk about this and to say this out loud because this discomfort has creates reactions in us that we also need to own. And um, discomfort is a great place to learn Discomfort is a great place to to develop, but it's also a place where you often want to push back. And so, uh, again, I see this as an evolutionary process that that this will continue to happen and it will continue to accelerate and power structures will continue to be vulnerable and and require change. And it is incumbent on the kind of role that I have is to sort of help ease that for our customers and hopefully help influence that for the, the market writ large. But I don't anticipate that it's going to be a straight line. And I certainly don't anticipate that it's going to change overnight, nor has it changed overnight. Again, we think the pandemic created a lot of these changes, but these changes were happening already. The pandemic accelerated them. And so again, as I see it, this kind of change, it really does require us to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, uh, that comes easily for me. My whole life has been doing stuff that I've not had anybody that in my family that's ever done it or anybody that I knew that had ever done it. Right. But that's not the truth for most people. And it's certainly not the truth for people in power who have been very successful and gotten to a position of power to to see all of that be vulnerable creates creates a lot of complexity. So my my goal is to meet people where they are, um, to help them see patterns that I see coming forward, to set them up for success in how they can evolve. But I fully anticipate not everybody is going to see it the same. Not everyone is ready for that level of disruption. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I really need to be empathetic to that as well, right? If I'm going to live my values, so um, so that I think there's space for for all points of view in this conversation. But I do think if you if you're trying to look at it from uh, you know a trend point of view, a future prediction point of view, I really think you're going to have a hard time not saying that things are changing, and you probably need to at least be watching and and informing your opinions about it at some level. Awesome. Awesome. I wonder how you get people who are used to leading with bravado to move to leading with vulnerability. That's a that's quite an upskilling challenge. That's that's an episode in and of itself. I think. 
you know, we should. I would love to, to read that book, John. <laughs> I don't know if you guys want to write that book, but I think that, um, I think there's a lot of talk about leading with vulnerability, but I don't think there's as much talk about the shift of, of kind of how you go from, from one to the other. Um, I think it's, I think it's a super powerful question. Yeah. I don't think the path has been, um, you know, to your point, we don't have a lot of people who have gone before us in this area and as, as part of learning and as part of leadership. And I think that's one of the reasons, by the way, that Ted Lasso is so popular is it, it, um, it helps us learn healthy behaviors. It helps us learn teamwork. It helps us learn how to how to speak to each other, how to communicate, how to move things forward. And um, and John, your meeting this morning was probably a good example of that. I mean, having twenty people on a call at six a.m. does necessitate best behaviors and uh, and uh, proper communication. I would think. Um, you know, we're we're at the end of our time together today. And Meg, I, I, we can't thank you enough for for joining us. I mean, you you took a leap of faith on us coming coming to the first episode here. Um, John, I'm sure you you share that sentiment. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Meg. And I, I wish we had another hour or so to talk about uh, the last topic. Uh, it, it's something we should come back to. I agree. I, I hope completely agree. Too. And I really am looking forward to hearing other people on your show uh, investigate this even further, because, again, I think we all have so much to learn. I, I, I think that's probably why I'm so excited about the future. But that's also, um, again, you know, a space that we need to to continue to hold and challenge ourselves. We don't know. We have a lot of good questions. We need to keep asking them. So uh, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to join you guys. I had a great time. This is fantastic. You remind me that that when I turned 50, I realized that I would never learn at all. And it was singularly liberating to realize that I could never learn at all. <laughs> A lot of pressure removed, right? Well, yep, like, yep. Again, thank yep. you so much for joining us for The Work, a new podcast that's looking at tough topics in the workplace.